John Brannion, professional comedian for more than 30 years. And I'm Amanda McKinney, John's daughter for more than 30 years. Our family believes laughing is a learned behavior, and we want to teach you how we do it. So welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. Welcome indeed to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. We're we're late getting the podcast out this week because we've been... (laughs) What are you laughing about? We're late getting the podcast out today and about five minutes later than we even would have been, except that our microphones weren't turned on when we started recording. Right, we're even later than you know, Carl, because we goofed up the first attempt to record this, but that doesn't matter. What uh, what we're just coming back from is Vacay with the Comics, where we had a great time with our friends and comedians and friend comedians and comedian friends. We had a great time. With- we did. We roasted marshmallows and we had way more s'mores than we could even eat. Oh, yeah. They're all on my counter right now. Mm-hmm. I have five bags of marshmallows on my counter right and now. And that's left over after our huge s'more blowout where yeah. uh, apparently Juan DeVivo ate a chocolate bar alone and tabby scolded him because those were supposed to be used to make s'mores uh, joan devivo who was on the podcast right before we left and i didn't even do push notifications to the fight laugh feast app people because i just forgot because it's just been a lot of stuff to do we've this been weekend. broadcasting sort of uh incognito for a while oh my goodness so, yeah and so we had s'mores on the first night, Thursday night, to kind of kick things off. And I asked my husband for a lighter. Actually, I didn't even ask him because the campground had one. But he was like, I have one, too, mm-hmm. if you need it. And he hands me this case. And I was like, what kind of lighter is this that requires, like, a, a tablet-sized case? It's got its case. own carrying uh, yeah. container. So I cracked it open, and, like, four cigars fell out on the floor, on the ground, <laughs> by the fire. And uh-huh. I was like what is this? And and there was a lighter in there. but so It's like a humidor? Apparently. I don't even know. A cigar case with a lighter in it? Yeah. I don't even know why he brought it. But I do know that it was the campground was a dry campus, no alcohol. And right, right before we and left. Technically, a, a cigar contains no right, alcohol. Well, yeah, but I think it's tobacco-free too. Yeah, I know. And I, I right before we left, Luke was like, Okay, we have everything. You have an extra pair of shoes. Did you get the pull-ups for Silas? You know, all of this stuff. Check, check, check. He goes, mm. oh, my water bottle's still on the table. Grab that and my scotch. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? 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 No. No, because for our family, the what? lake does usually represent some, you know, mild amounts of alcoholic beverages we don't go crazy but like you're, you're talking about our own family functions yeah but the yeah, Branyan family it's present functions. but it's not really a central part of right the event right but he's thinking like oh i might have a, a you i know, might have a t- scotch and tonic i might have a no he likes to drink fire. uh neat what's the thing that you call neat i don't know Whis- whiskey i don't know i don't know, I don't what, know it is. what it is something that he likes to have neatly <laughs> 
<laughs> That's how much I know about this culture. Do you know what it means to have it neat? No, I just, well, I can show you the bottles of what he mixes. So in you don't even know. Thing. You just, Something he likes to have neatly, but you don't even know what that means. No, I have no idea what it means. Neat means without ice. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. He saves orange peels for it. So Carl, if you're currently screaming at your, you know, radio or your phone as you're yeah, listening because you know what, what I'm talking about. Feel free to email us at nextdoor at johnbranion.com and tell me what it is my husband likes to drink. He saves orange peels for it and there's like three little bottles that he mixes. But all that to say, I'm yeah. the like director and event coordinator of this vacay with comics. And I'm like, no, you're not You're not going to violate scotch. the rules. And he goes, Joe's doing it. That's my sister's husband. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, he's not. And I said, you text him right now and tell him whatever he's got in his backpack needs to go back in his liquor cabinet. I think it's great the way you have to not only watch your own preteen children, but right. you have to look out for your post-teen husband and, and brother-in-law and brother yeah. to make sure that they don't misbehave right. as well. I was like, this is not going to happen. But it gave me the opportunity to tell that story about the scotch as I'm sitting around the campfire with people and like a handful of cigars fall out on the ground. And I'm like, this is great. I managed to preempt the alcohol, but I, I missed the tobacco that skated through under my radar. Everybody was probably pretty understanding, weren't they? Yeah, they laughed. Tabby, Tabby was right there. And so I had the opportunity to rat Joe out too. Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, our husbands are doing their best, their level best to just give us a bad reputation with this <laughs> group yeah. of people. And everybody laughed, thankfully. So so we are we are doing this podcast late. All of that was explanation for why the podcast is coming out late. We normally get it recorded long before Monday afternoon mm -hmm. because it's normally up on Monday morning. But, um, you know, it's either... If, if you can't do it perfectly, if you can't keep the schedule that you wanted, then just just don't keep the schedule, but put it out anyway. That's what. Sure. That's what's important, right? It's not important what time you put it out. What's important is that you put it out. Sure. And I was trying to find some way to like take some audio from some of the things we did record this weekend and put that out mm -hmm. in lieu of a podcast, but it, I realized that was going to actually be more work to try to find just it coming in here and, and cut out the audio and then upload it. Well, we have a couple of things that we could talk about too, because I noticed that you posted something to uh, the MeWe group a little while. Oh yeah. Ago. I haven't actually read the article, but it was some sort of a thing from a guy, some dad who's basically, let me see if I can predict what it was. You haven't read it, but you think we can probably talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. you can talk about it because I assume you read it, right? I I did read it, and you'll bring me and you'll bring me up to speed, and then I will speak intelligently based on what you have relayed. All right, let me. me do this. Peaches in a whirl. All right. All right, you tell me what you think the article that you didn't read is about. Well, I think the article that I did not read is about a father writing an editorial uh, comment about how children are out of school because of covid and the parents are suffering because their children are not being um in school okay so you read my sentence that i attached to the article when i posted it mm -hmm. <laughs> well that was also the headline in the in the atlantic wasn't it there's something about parents are suffering the father's plea for suffering parents or something parents like that. are not okay parents are not okay that's what it is 
we're not even at a breaking point anymore. We're broken. The parents are broken because their children are not back in school. By Dan Sinker. Sinker. Yep. He's a writer based in Chicago, Mm -hmm. which I didn't even read the first time. I, I missed that when I read it the first time. And it does make more sense when your kids are in Chicago schools, why you would feel like, like maybe the world is ending and the sky is falling because <laughs> it kind of is Because in Chicago, they're actually passing out condoms to fifth graders. That's an actual thing that's actually happening. Like when they step off the bus, they just, here like you go. They're kid. free in the nurse's office. They're giving yeah. like other, they're giving birth control and, um, and yeah, condoms to, to fifth graders, right. To 11 year olds in some cases. Right. Um, my well, daughter's you know, they're 10. Gonna do, they're going to do what they're going to do. So you might as well. You might as well make it safe for them. So here's what Dan Sinker writes. This I mean, they're the, gonna they're gonna be uh, in gangs too. So you might as well hand out uh, brass bullets, knuckles, bullets, and brass knuckles and knives, right? Yeah, because they're gonna do it anyway. Tattoo so you guns. Might as well do it safely. Yeah, safe tattoo guns. Um, Dan writes, "It was two weeks originally. Who couldn't do two weeks with the kids at home? Two Who? weeks to bend the curve. It was simple, and then it was two months." Because nothing bent. And well, we did two weeks and that went okay. So two months would be doable, right? Right? And then it was summer and kids are always home in the summer. So how was this different? Sure, we can't go anywhere, but we'll just do a little more TV, a little more iPad, a little more of everything we're already doing. Right. And besides, school's just around the corner and finally they'll go back. They'll go back. They will finally be out of our hair and back in public school where they belong, where we anticipated they would be when we had them. Right. <laughs> Except they didn't go back. Instead, it was a year in limbo, school on stuttering Zoom, <laughs> school in person, then back home again for quarantine, school all the time and none of the time. No part of it was good for kids or parents, but most parts of it were safe and somehow, impossibly, we made it through a full year. It was hell, but we did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. You remember, when the, remember when you were looking through the nursery glass at that newborn child and you thought to yourself, wow, just a few years. I can, if I can hold on for just a few years, it'll be their first day of school. <laughs> uh, he says, time collapsed and it was summer again. And briefly, things looked better. We began to dream of normalcy, of trips and jobs and school. But 2021's hot vac summer only truly delivered on the hot part as vaccination rates slowed and the Delta variant cut through some states with the brutal efficiency of the wildfires that decimated others. It happened in a flash. It oh, was so good, great. and then it was bad, and then we were right back in the same nightmare we'd been living I, in I, for 18 I, months. <laughs> I love the conflation of all natural disasters with covid you know, it's like, it's a wildfire, it's a tornado, it's, yeah, it's all, it's all the same. Whether you're having a wildfire, whether it's an earthquake, or whether it's COVID, it's all the same. Right. It all results in you having to look at your rotten kids longer. Your terrible children <laughs> that you could, cannot wait to send back to public school so that they will get an education, so that they will be okay. And apparently, that's... That is not uh, the case, that they're not going to be okay. Your kids are not going to be okay either if they grow up and have kids and they can't send them to public school. Yeah, but the thing is, he's not actually, he doesn't want to send them to school either. Like, that's the thing. He, what does he want? He doesn't want that either because he's convinced that that is like the worst case scenario of all is people 
going back to normal and having the Delta variant be around because he thinks that that's dangerous. And so he says, first of all, this is, this is gold. I am a father. I have a six-year-old and a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. So he's got a kid who's two years away from voting. He's, he's you know, a young adult himself at mm-hmm. 16 or herself, I guess. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. It's and self. a six-year-old. So what exactly is this guy struggling to juggle here with a kid at home who's basically kindergarten age and the other one should at this point be self-sufficient? I I don't know, but, but that made me chuckle. I am a father. I'm expecting him to say, you know, I've got these five kids at home. They're at each other's throats. They're going crazy. It's like, Mm -hmm. you got a kid who can drive and, and a six-year-old like, (laughs) Like, right. like buck be, up, buddy. Yeah, you may be, you might be struggling less than some other parents who Toughen are also up a broken. little bit. It's, is it hard for you to write for the Atlantic with a six-year-old nearby? Is that difficult? It's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, right? It's it's funny what breaks these people now. Right. I mean, the the general when there used to be wars and stuff. You know, back in the forties, we fought a war and people. I mean, that was, I think, harder than having your children home for a few months right. out of school. Right. And coming on the heels of Vacay with Comics, where all four of my children were present. Right. I had, you know, my phone ringing. People were sending me emails. I took a call an hour before our showcase. You don't even know about this yet, Dad. An hour before the showcase started Saturday night, somebody called and was like, I'm not going to be able to make it. Do you guys do refunds? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'm on the phone with somebody who wants a refund. Right, an hour before. When we've got we, a we got film people crew, setting like, up cameras, yeah, and we're yeah. trying to make sure that everybody's got a seat properly, and we're trying to get the microphone set up, and we're still, yep. and we're trying to juggle uh, the comics themselves and Dinner's set the order for the on. show. I'm trying dinner. to show people where to go to get food. I didn't yep. eat dinner on Saturday night, you know, because partly because I wasn't super hungry with all the adrenaline. There was going a lot on. of food this week, and also because I didn't have yeah, time. time. But yes, by all means, cry me a river because you've got a 16-year-old that and you are responsible and for. And a kindergartner who yeah. have not been back to public school. Yeah, but no, but he says, uh, again, he's not wanting them to go back to school per se. He goes... What's he want? Does he just want to gripe about... Apparently. About life as it currently is? Just wants to talk about is? how not okay it is. I'm not okay. Well, yeah. what do you want? I don't know. I just feel bad what i can tell you is that i am furious and i am afraid i can also Mm. tell you the only real difference between this year and last year is that the most effective tool for keeping our kids safe which is remote school seems to now be off the table when cases were plummeting this spring most every district and state board of education made the quick decision to stick a knife in remote school it was awful last year don't get me wrong and i understand what motivated their decision but now we're stuck with full-on 30 kids in a room wide open school as the delta variant rages i still don't understand what he's what he's asking he says that they're broken right. and remote school is the most effective thing but he doesn't want them home right right so he himself is the one who's moaning about the most effective solution. Yeah. Well, I guess my rule of thumb, as you know, has always been when a person tells you they're not okay or they're struggling with their mental believe health, them. you just believe them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is precisely the kind of article that a broken human being with no clue what's going on would write. Like, that's that's right. But we should stop giving them platforms, though. We should stop publishing this stuff in the Atlantic because he's only leading other people to be not okay. I've been living on the same planet that he has for the last 18 months, and I'm doing okay. 
I'm fine. I spent four days with my four kids trying to manage a whole lot of things at once and I'm still okay. Mm -hmm. And so if he's interested Mm -hmm. in how he can maybe be more okay in the future, instead of belly aching with a bunch of other not okay people, I would say maybe it would be wise to find somebody who is successful and who is managing and find out how they do it. Well, but I think that he, the person like that would say that you're not okay either. You're just in denial. Do you think? Yeah. I don't know that they would because they're so, they don't, so, have, they don't have a clue what okay even means. That is true. But they they're don't so know what it, proud of their idea that you should let other people have their truth and their experience and tell their story that they would be total hypocrites to say, I don't have the right to tell my story. My story is that I am okay. I think they'd be more likely to say, well, yeah, but that's you and you don't know my particular circumstance and that's why... You know, my my life is just vastly different from yours. Probably. That, yeah. That's probably true, but I'm not sure. I still go back to, I don't understand what the point is of just complaining about things for the sake of complaining. Like, right. who, who, gives a, who gives a crap about you're not being okay? You know, we, don't we all have things going on in our lives that matter more than this guy's being stuck with his two kids at home? I mean, is there is there anybody going through anything that in their life right now that they would prioritize this guy's problems over their own. They would say, you know, I thought I had it bad until I read this guy's article and he's got a 16 year old and a kindergartner at home and they haven't been to public school for months. It's like, (laughs) I thought I had it bad, but all I had, you know, all I have is gout. That's nothing compared to (laughs) this poor guy. All I have is a heart murmur. I don't have a 16 year old at home. Well, what's, what's really happening is they're struggling with cognitive dissonance. What's, what's struggle, what they're struggling with is that reality that they don't know what they want, mm-hmm. and so it's bothering them. So go ahead and write an article and publish it in the Atlanta, by all <laughs> means. If you absolutely have no idea what you want or what you're talking about, publish. Yeah, here's, Now's here's the, the time paragraph. to speak up. Here's the paragraph. It's a real monkey's paw situation because as a parent, all I've wanted for a year and a half is for my kids to go back to school for their sake and for mine but not like this. Not like this. Now I'm stuck wishing that the thing they barely that barely worked last year was still an option because what's looming is way worse. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> yep. Interesting because I also had something that I wanted to run past you um and it is kind of along the same lines. It has to do with an article that was in our local paper. And the headline is, Kokomo sees unprecedented summer spike in infant respiratory virus. Unprecedented summer spike in infant respiratory virus. In the first paragraph, an unprecedented summer spike in local children contracting the respiratory syncytial? Syncytial? Are you going to read it? Sinky shell. I don't know. I'm not looking at it. I can't help you. Unprecedented summer spike in local children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Respiratory. I don't know how to say it either. Okay, good. Sinky shell virus. It's RSV. Has pediatrician worried the surge could add to the already growing number of hospitalizations due to COVID-19? 
uh, Dr. Eric O'Banion, a pediatrician at Howard Community, said RSV is a common illness that traditionally spreads in winter among children. Okay, it's a common illness that traditionally spreads in winter with cases hardly ever occurring in the summer, but not this year. He said cases first started appearing in Kokomo in early summer and have ballooned in the past month, creating a revolving door, in quotes, of children being admitted to the hospital with, a, with serious infections from the virus. Nearly all of the children who have developed serious infections have been uh, nine months old or younger. O'Banion said that with the rest of the cases this summer, doctors are concerned the area could face an RSV epidemic this winter when it's common for the virus to spread. Okay, so we're several paragraphs in, and there have been no statistics. There's just been words like spike and could do this, could do that, concerned right. about something else. Right. But there's, there's, this isn't a news story. This is more, uh, this, this is like the guy in the Atlantic going, oh my gosh, I'm broken and I'm freaking out about stuff. Right, right. Um, but, but it kind of reminds me of that thing that I wrote years ago, long before COVID, um, about how it's emotional manipulation and it's, and it's abusive to keep pumping women full of this mm -hmm. information, particularly when they're postpartum, like immediately postpartum. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I have a quote. Um, yes. Okay, this is, this is from the article. Quote, if we have, if we have a big blow up of patients, we're going to run into having a problem because of COVID. There's nowhere to send them down in Indianapolis because of the backlog of beds down there. If those places are full, you're kind of stuck. So there's two ifs. Right. If we have a blow up and if those places are full, we're going to have a problem. Well, no, duh. You know, if all of the hospitals burn to the ground, you know, we're going to have a problem because all right. of the hospitals have burned to the ground. Right. Oh, my gosh. Let's outlaw matches and lighters. Okay. So you made a reference to um, it being irresponsible because of... Because of what it does to women who've just had babies. So here's a quote from somebody who uh, posted the article. She posted that article that I just read to you. Mm -hmm. This right here, no one should expect me to pass my newborn around for everyone to hold him. I struggle with even bringing him out to church. I'm a germaphobe and a scientist by training job. I don't know your hygiene habits, but I'm similar to Sheldon Cooper off of the Big Bang Theory in that regard. Just ask my family. My view is not new or because of COVID-19, and I don't need anyone trying to make me feel bad for trying to protect myself and my infant. Yes, I have faith, but I also believe in science and acting responsibly. We are both immune compromised, although he is much more fragile than I right now. I'm sorry, but my answer to you holding him will probably be no, not right now. I'm not ready for others to hold him yet. I support individuals' right to choose and do their own research with regard to vaccine, who they have, hold their babies, etc., RSV is not new, and it does pose a serious threat to infants. It is rampant in school-aged children and usually does not cause serious illness for them. 
no, I have not allowed uh, my kids to hold him either because of this and other personal reasons. Please stop asking them if they have held him yet. It places me in an awkward situation. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And they will hold him if and when I'm ready for them to. I will unapologetically decline requests to hold him, or I will likely wipe him down right in front of you if you touch his feet or arms or hands without my permission, which I really don't appreciate. I won't feel bad about it because it is my choice. More moms need to be supported for their choices with their infants and not be made to feel guilty about saying no. Saying no is okay. Mm-hmm. I actually took a screenshot of that prior to leaving uh, for Vacay with Comics. And Did you? And never sent it to you. Yep. So that's interesting. All right. Yep. So we were both struck by the same. I would... I would agree that a mother's uh, prerogative and responsibility is for the safety of her children. Right, I'm not arguing with that. Here's the problem, though. Women who have just had babies are not okay. They're not okay. They're not okay. I was not okay when I had just had a baby. My sisters have not been okay mm-hmm. when they've just had babies. Mm-hmm. Marla will tell you uh, a story about how she was having these fantasies, these, like, night, not night terrors, day terrors, I guess, mm-hmm. these really disturbing hallucinations or um that's still too strong of a word but she was like picturing the ceiling fan falling on her new baby Mm -hmm. and was afraid to lay the baby under the ceiling fan right okay so this is the kind of stuff well there's nothing wrong with erring on the side of caution is there right ceiling fans sometimes fall peach Right. right and now they make a device which we've talked about on the mom cast called an owlet smart sock do you know what this is no but it was referenced in that was it yeah yeah, because it absolutely preys on the worst fears of new mothers, and it capitalizes on them. And it's a little rubber strap with a, a pulse oximeter on it mm-hmm. that will keep track of your baby's heartbeats and oxygen saturation level and text your phone seriously if it dips, if it's too low. Yeah. Yeah, and most of the time the errors are when the baby kicks the sock off by right. mistake, but like... It gives women and men, I assume, some peace of mind that they can leave their baby and go to sleep and and not feel like and, they're giving up any control and, at all. And God will sustain that baby's life through right. the night. Um, and so they can check up on God, basically. Right. So so that's we've talked about it again on the on the mom cast because where is that line between doing what's re- what you're responsible to do because you are responsible to feed the baby you're responsible to keep the baby alive and mm-hmm. make sure it's not too hot or it's not too cold and um, mm-hmm. it, it receives love and, and affection and attention but that's the angle that I came from when I realized how often postpartum depression and anxiety are first of all undiagnosed and second of all used to isolate the mother and the infant from their families and from their communities. Correct. Which makes it worse. Well, and it justifies being even, it justifies your irrational fear. It's it's just this, I'm out of my mind right now and I'm terrified that my baby's going to catch a disease. And so don't you dare even question or try to talk me into something else because mother knows best. And it's like, okay, well, okay, I, I won't, I won't ask to hold your baby. I won't even, in fact, now I'm uh, probably not going to come within 50 or 100 yards of you because you're a psycho and I don't want to be 
accused of uh, of putting your your precious infant in danger. So I'll just stay the heck away. I I don't think that my frustration is with the actual postpartum mother um or any of any of the postpartum mothers themselves. I think that they're in vulnerable places and they are they're out of their minds and a lot of them haven't been told it's okay to be out of their mind for a while. That's part of that's part of the natural process of it. I think that God puts us in a very vulnerable position after we give birth so that we can learn to rely on other people like our husbands and our kids. What I think is the problem is the culture we live in now where instead of making it normal for the grandmothers and the aunts and the cousins and the big sisters and brothers to be there for you, we've made it normal to shove them away and right. and we've promised women that's going to make it better. So now they're suffering in isolation. She's right. still suffering. She's still having a really hard go of it. And she's doing the thing that our culture has told her will help, which is taking control, taking life. You know, well, that, that letter was not written by somebody who is resolute in their thoughts. No, it it's, sounds like it is. Right. It, and you know, don't you question? I know what's best. And it's like, but it's the opposite of that. You're right. saying you're saying you have no idea what's going on and you're terrified. Right. Yes, that's a person who is scaring people with their with their loud, you know, defiant foot stomping. Right. But th- but inside they yeah, they are terrified and don't know if they're doing the right thing. And I'm here to say you're not. And I'm saying it because I've said it to my own sisters and I had the Holy Spirit say it to me. It's not the right thing to cave in on yourself, to isolate and throw a bubble up around yourself. It's not. It makes it worse. And that's why in 2018, actually 2019, I wrote this. And there's a picture at the bottom of my son, Colin, at uh, what, like five and a half weeks old, I think. He was like five and a half weeks old, little bald guy with a binky in his mouth in a hospital bed with all of these wires coming out of him. He's got a um, IV in his arm. And yeah, so he's in a hospital bed sleeping. And I included that picture on purpose. And this I, was long before COVID. Long before COVID. I said, warning for parents. This photo is from one of the hardest weeks of my life. It's my son, Colin, in 2013. He was just five weeks old. And after running a high fever between 102 and 103 degrees for three days straight, we finally rushed him to the hospital when he started vomiting up the Tylenol and refusing to nurse. I was fearing the dehydration. At the ER, they told us we'd be admitted right away and that we needed to wear full gowns and masks to hold him. And then we watched helplessly while they poked our baby with needles and whisked him for a chest x-ray and held him down for a spinal tap. That's fun. We did that. And filled his tiny body with two different antibiotics while we waited for the cultures to find out what was making him so sick. We never did get a diagnosis. Nope. All tests were clear, and though we were finally able to rule out bacteria, the official word from the doctors was, Maybe it was some type of virus, probably. We'll never know for sure which one. And maybe this is where I should tell you that Colin is fine today. Once the hospital strength Tylenol made him comfortable, he was able to rest and he nursed again. And we went home from the hospital after 48 hours. So why did I call this experience the hardest week of my life? Well, I was struggling with horrible postpartum depression and anxiety during the whole ordeal. And that's actually a side story. What I promised was a warning. So here is the warning. Parents, please don't let fear-mongering and pictures of sick babies scare you into wrapping your kids in bubbles. Please, please don't believe the lie that you can prevent tragedies if you refuse to let your babies be kissed or snuggled. 
Please don't demand that everyone within 20 miles get flu shots or they will be eaten by mama bear. Please don't threaten to rip apart families over a pacifier that didn't get sterilized. And please, please, please don't isolate yourself from family and friends out of fear that they'll contaminate your baby because that doesn't prevent tragedy. It's actually a sickness all on its own. Right. We are using pictures of babies and rare stories of freak accidents to scare the crap out of mothers until they view everyone in their community as germy, dangerous enemies who need to be pushed away. Now we're afraid to let even our husbands and other children touch the littlest members of our family. I actually saw a post the other day warning mothers not to kiss their own babies on the lips. This was in 2019, guys. I wrote this in 2019. This is crazy. This was just seven years ago when you were writing this. No, seven years ago that the that the event took place. Oh, 2013 okay. is when he got sick. But oh, okay. I wrote this post in 2019. This is crazy behavior. It's not healthy. So I'm sharing this picture of Colin as a reminder that sometimes tiny babies get sick and it doesn't mean we need to tell everyone on the internet how to avoid it. Yeah, I know, I know. There are kids with serious issues or other special needs that should be treated differently than others. But I'm talking about most normal, healthy newborns whose mothers are struggling with anxiety and are seeing pictures of bloated babies with tubes coming out of them and warnings that whooping cough is lurking around every corner. Right, or COVID or RSV. Dear mama who's afraid that something terrible might happen if you let others come into your circle, the truth is I would do everything with Colin exactly the same way. I would still let Colin be visited by excited grandparents and aunts and uncles when he was born. I would still let him be kissed and snuggled by his toddler big sister. I would still go to my parents' house roughly every other day so I could talk through my insomnia and my racing mind and they could give my little family food and snuggles because we need each other. And if you think this picture of a baby in a hospital bed is tragic, I can promise you it's not nearly as tragic as letting our lives be run by fear and horror stories we see on the internet. Did you get anybody angry about that? No, I got about 70 people who were liking and loving it and thanking me because we're tired of billboards on the highway outside of our downtown Kokomo with a picture of a baby scrunching up his nose and making an, an ucky face that says, please, no kisses. Right. Right. I've seen that billboard. Yep. It's everywhere. Yeah. That was what inspired this. Even before COVID, I wrote about this exact phenomenon where it's where we're isolating mothers and babies from their families under the guise of it being healthy. And it's not healthy. The tragedy is when you are encouraging people in their anxiety. It's a legitimate mental, emotional mood disorder. It's a legitimate thing that needs to be addressed. It, it causes spiritual pain. It causes familial pain. Right. And instead of addressing it, we're encouraging it and and. The most making it worse, right? The most fearful people among us are not the ones that we should be consulting for procedural advice. What should we do? You're the you seem to be absolutely terrified. So what should we do? Yep. And it just doesn't make any sense. This is uh, from that article. It says that uh, between a third and a half of the children who go to the a patient unit with RSV end up being admitted, a third to a half, for serious respiratory infections. Um, some stay for a day while others are admitted for close to a week. And then, quote, there's not a rhyme or reason on how long they'll stay. It just depends on how their body reacts right. to the virus. Right. Then it said, and this is my favorite, however, O'Banion said, 
Um, there are no firm numbers on how many RSV cases in total have been treated at the hospital mm -hmm. since doctors don't usually test children who only have mild cold-like symptoms. Correct. But that does, that's way down yep. in the article where the headline is unprecedented spike among children right. in Howard County. There are no firm numbers on how many RSV, RSV cases in total have been in the hospital. Correct. And I know that already because my husband is in infection prevention and he's responsible for charting it. He literally has to report to the state the number of diagnosed of each um, illness, each common illness they get in the ER and at his hospital. Mm -hmm. He reports the test results every single morning. He has to say we've had this many confirmed flu cases, this many confirmed COVID cases, this many confirmed RSV cases. Mm -hmm. And and that's how I knew before a lot of other people that the flu numbers made no sense last year. There was virtually no case of no flu. The it just flu disappeared. It, yeah, it went from like sixty thousand cases on average, you know, per season, um, in in like in Indiana or something. I don't remember exactly, but it was right. it, it went to like well, you know what the narrative dozens. is. You know what the narrative is on the flu. <laughs> the masks are working. Yes, the masks. See, yeah. this is why we should be masked all the time yeah. for the rest of our lives. Yep. Because we can eradicate. We can really eradicate all sickness if we would just pull together. Yeah. Can you imagine how long we would live once we eradicate sickness? Yeah. Once we no longer get sick because we just. Because we knuckle down and pull together and wear masks and get vaccinated and practice social distancing and lock ourselves in our basement and never and never touch each other, right? And then we won't die from illness anymore. Right. Is and that so? Is that so much to ask? Then we'll be healthy, yeah. and that's the word that I keep I keep harping on, and that's the word that I'm hung up on because it is the opposite of healthy to normalize germophobia. It's not healthy. It's not good for us emotionally and spiritually. And if on top of everything else that I was dealing with when I was going through my postpartum depression, if on top of that, I also had family that deferred to me because I was afraid to put my kid under a ceiling fan, for example, mm -hmm. or because I didn't want to get in a car because suddenly I developed a fear of, of car accidents, or I didn't want to go over bridges because I was afraid they'd collapse, or right. I didn't want to go into big crowds anymore because... You know, whatever get a disease yeah if, or somebody could steal your wallet it would have been even worse if if on top of everything else i was going through where my center of gravity was suddenly completely off and i couldn't trust my own emotions and i couldn't trust my own thoughts and i wasn't sure which way was up and which way was down on top of all that if somebody was deferring to my crazy feelings and my crazy perspective yeah. on things you tell us how to live crazy postpartum it woman. would not have gone well and i love the fact that there are still there are still cultures out there where there are mothers and grandmothers and sisters and cousins who just kind of know the way that women need to be treated after they give birth and they just do it and it's very communal and they bring them food and they don't wash down the grocery bags before they do it and they bring them a hairbrush and they don't wash their hands before they braid her hair. They tell her to get in the shower and then they braid her <laughs> hair and they take the baby from her when she cries and they strap that baby to their own backs. Sometimes the grandmothers let the babies suckle on their own dry breasts before they put them down for bed. If they're already full, what? they don't have pacifiers in that region. Yep. You literally, your baby's mouth is on another person's boob. Mm -hmm. Imagine that, you terrified American mothers. Yep. And it's better. And cases of postpartum depression and anxiety in those cultures are almost unheard of. It's 
almost non-existent. They just go with what they know is true. We're going to need to spend a few weeks closer than we've been in the past, helping more than we normally do, touching more often, being in an right. even more closed in cloistered environment with this mother. Everybody gather around. Right. Well, there's no there, there has never been conventional wisdom passed down in the form of an idiom or a proverb or a fortune cookie that has said whoever is the most panicked <laughs> is the one who shall lead. But that's what we do in this culture now. That the most the most out of control uh freaked out person is the one that we go oh, this person's really freaking out we need to we need to give them some space and honor their wishes and pay attention to what they're suggesting we do because because look they're not okay yep i mean the, this person said she actually was a joke a germaphobe she says i'm like i'm like sheldon on the big bang right and somehow that means oh oh you're like sheldon you, you know so okay well then what do you think we should do germaphobe right right it's, it's topsy-turvy, but again, I blame the culture more than I blame the person who's currently suffering. And that post that I read of mine, I just looked back, and it was shared 51 times by different people just kind of being like... And you didn't get anybody angry? No. Yeah. No. Nope. Well, it's because it was your kid. I had one person say, you know, oh, I'm going to push back a little bit because I, I hope that you're talking just about immediate family and not like letting people at Walmart hold your kid what difference does it make i don't know why is why are immediate family members less germy than strangers i don't know but she also had an example of a, of an actual immune compromised infant a, a actual diagnosis of course she did and i said she has anecdotal evidence that I, contradicts you i said i allowed for that i said that i understand that there are some kids whose hearts are born outside of their chest and whose right. you know genetic Right, and if your heart is yeah. born outside of your chest, then you probably wouldn't pass that baby around the first couple right. of days that uh, right that they're alive. But you know, they're actually taking newborns away from their mothers now and taking them to the ICU where their mothers are not allowed to visit them. Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah, all the research that we have over years and years and years of how important those first few days are psychologically and emotionally for both the mother and the baby. And now because window. we have prioritized physical safety germs, we're going to preempt all of that, or we're going to override all of that and take the baby away from its, its mother, mother and hook it up in an isolate where gloved hands are touching it. And we think that's healthy. Right. We think that that, well, it, it's also um, responsible not, it's not just healthy, but it's the responsible thing to do because that baby is not going to, quote unquote, get sick. Yep. And your point is that. Nope, yes, it's already it is. sick. It this is whole already thing sick. is sick. The whole thing is sick. All and of it is up. very sick. And I'm tired of being told that I, or being classified as one of the parents who doesn't care about kids or doesn't care about their safety. It's like, no, I care more than you do because I know that a person is more than a collection of cells that you're trying to tend to with you know, antibacterial soap. And life is more than just existing on the planet for as long as you possibly can. Right, right. It's sick. What you're trying to do in the name of protection is doing the opposite. It is absolutely hurting you and all the children who are affected by your sick way of being human. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to put masks on children 
and expect them to grow up normally. That's not going to happen. It's not, it's not healthy to teach them to be hyper aware of their own breathing, their you own know, inf- infections, their existence. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's not, that's not okay. No, it's, it, it's, it, it does. You talk about the long-term effects of that, that have not been studied. It's going to be interesting to see what sort of people yeah. uh, these kids become. They're going to they, be Sheldon Coopers. Yeah. When they, when, <laughs> when they are out of school, you know, the kids that are being masked up now in kindergarten, first, second, and third grade, it's going to be interesting when they get to be 18 or 19 to see just how capable they are of functioning within right. a society. Right. They're going to be Sheldon Coopers with significantly smaller vocabularies because they never <laughs> went to school. But They never went to school, and that will be uh, that'll be good for their parents, right? There's at least one father who's <laughs> going to feel a little bit better. No, he's torn. He doesn't even want them to... <laughs> he doesn't even really want them to go to school. Yeah, well, there's no... It's a little bit ridiculous to think that children are going to be less fearful than their parents when their parents are freaking out about stuff. I remember my parents, my mother especially, when there was a wasp in the room, um, you know, my brother and I would, oh my gosh, a wasp. It was like a a baby dragon was flying around. You know, we were convinced that that wasp was going to find us, zero in on us, stab us in the neck. Right. uh, Whatever. And she was always, uh, well, if you don't bother it, it won't bother you. Very nonchalant. Right. About a wasp, Peach. Right. That could sting you. Mm-hmm. And have, wasps have stung people. They've stung many people. There's all sorts of evidence that a wasp will sting you. Right. And my mom would just casually say, eh, if you don't bother it, it won't bother you. Probably. And <laughs> as a result, um, it, do you know how many times I've been stung by a wasp? Have you been? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I stepped on a bee as an yes, adult and was like, man, I forgot how much that hurts. And it hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, but it happens. We live in a world where there are wasps. And from time to time, some of us get stung by those wasps. Right. But it makes absolutely no sense for all of us in society to live as if we are constantly under the threat of a wasp sting 24 right. hours a day, seven days a week. Right. It makes no sense. Well, it makes sense if you've got a mood disorder or you've got the wrong perspective on things, but it makes no sense to keep that perspective once you hear that there's another way. And once you realize there are people out there who want to help you be okay, instead of writing articles about how you're not okay or writing Facebook posts about how you're a germaphobe, there are ways to, to be okay. You can find somebody who's not in your circle of fellow unokay people. Right. Find somebody who is okay and ask them if you want to be well, if you want to be healed. Yeah. How do you want to, how do you, how do you get to be okay like you're okay? And that's, that's a question that is absolutely worth, worth asking. If you know somebody in your vicinity who seems to be doing all right, they don't seem to be completely overcome with fear. They don't seem to be uh, afraid to, to, stand close to you and right. uh, and interact with you instead of shaming them and making them the bad guy right because they're not like you, because they're not crazy like you why don't you ask them how they got to be so content so in, a, in a world where everybody is everybody is passing out and dying from covid how can you stand there so calmly that's a good question to ask them all right carl uh next door at johnbrandon.com 
Send us your comments. Yeah, do that. Thanks so much for visiting today, Carl. Join the Comedians family at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference this September. More details at flfnetwork.com. We can't wait to meet all our new neighbors. 